My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and screenwriting consultant here at On the Page. Yeah, you know me. I'm always going to screw it up, Pat. I'm sorry. It's just, that's what I do. I'm not saying anything. Okay. Joining me as podcast producer is my husband, Pat Francis. Hello, Pat. I can't believe you screwed that up. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. You know why? It's because I'm nervous. It's because uh, we have Elliot Lester back. Well, you you must have been really nervous the first time because this is his second time. I know, but when it, yeah, when he was first here, I was very intimidated. Now I'm just like I really want to impress him. You know, got to keep it going. We got uh, director Elliot Lester here. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you sound so pretty when you talk. <clears throat> well, I've been working with a dialect coach. I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> I think I'm nearly there. <laughs> Director Elliot Lester was last here to talk about his critically acclaimed HBO movie, Nightingale, starring David Oyelowo. Oh, you got that right. <laughs> David Oyelowo. Many people don't. <laughs> Which was great. Remember when we watched oh that together? Oh my God, I could not believe how great it was. It was so good. And then um, on April 7th, ready? Everybody mark your calendar right now. Put April 7th on there because... Um, Elliot's new movie, Aftermath, will premiere starring an unknown named <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. and also produced by Darren Aronofsky. Another unknown. Oh, my God. Jeez. Um, he, and uh, uh, Elliot also directed um, Thirst, right? Directed I'm or about is directing. To. I'm hoping to. Directing is working on. You just got me that green light that ah, I've been looking for. Okay. He's also working on Thirst, and that is written by Charles Levitt, and it's about the global water crisis. It yep. is produced by Matt Damon. Matt and Ben. Matt and Ben. Did you yes. tell him I said hi? As soon as I leave here. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll go to Cookaroo and we'll... <laughs> Pilar does have a crush on uh, Ben Affleck. I, I do. I do. I, it's, that, it's the chin thing, you know? Come on. He's, he's cute. Gorgeous. Yeah. I'm to tell you. Exactly. Handsome man. I am. But um, not, not Pat. Right, he's no Pat. He's no Pat. That's right, we know that. And uh, also, you just finished directing Will for TNT, which has been written by Craig Pierce of Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge, and Great Gatsby fame. And, oh my gosh, it just keeps going on. Um, uh, You're also working on a new HBO show, Jackson State, written by Scott Lazar, who was one of the writers on True Detective. And there's more. You're producing as well. Crazy. Yeah, right? I don't like to stay in very much. <laughs> Clearly. I'm not very good. Or sleep, right? You know, it's funny. My pro- I have a producing partner. His name's Eric Watson, who's the guy that started with Darren Aronofsky, produced Pie and Requiem and The Fountain and The Wrestler. Huh. He says to me, he goes, sometimes he goes, D- you don't sleep, do you? <laughs> you don't sleep. <laughs> you look amazingly well-rested. Yeah, you look well- very rested. Yes. Keep faking it. It's yeah. great. It's the sugar. <laughs> No, okay, let's talk. Let's let's start with the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Let's talk start with Aftermath coming out on April 7th. Okay. 
So this is not your typical Schwarzenegger movie. Tell everybody about it. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, I uh, it's it's written by Javier Goulon, who is a phenomenal writer. He wrote Enemy for uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, I read the script. My agent gave me the script, and I read it, and it's it was such an anomaly. Uh, the script changed the movie changed from the script a little bit just because of the form of it originally it was it was two distinct chapters that culminated in that ending that we won't discuss but um and i read it and i was like god this is so unusual i wonder if you can actually create i wonder if you can actually turn this into a movie so i got a call from darren and scott and they were like you know do you want to would you like to come and do this film you've got six weeks to prep it which is nothing. Six weeks. Geez. Yeah, it was nothing. Oh my god! So I said sure, and they were like, "Well, you better you better go and see Arnold first. So I'm like, so Arnold was already attached. Arnold was firmly attached. What, what do you think attracted it? Like, we have to under let people understand why it's not your typical Schwarzenegger movie. Well, it, it's an intimate uh, study of loss and tragedy. It's a, a movie that rec- that is about feeling. It's not an actioner where he's playing a man wielding a sword, a cyborg, you know. There's no get-me-to-the-chopper lines. Yeah. There's just feeling, and it was that was the anomaly. It was like, hang on a second, this is a totally unique idea and a unique opportunity. And if look, who knows if it, if it will work. I, I've, when I was on set working with him, I was very happy. But anyway, I had to go and meet Arnold. Mm-hmm. So I get this call and like you go and meet Arnold, and meeting Arnold is, you know, he's a brilliant politician. And I, I walk in, he's like, "Hello," I was like, "Hello, Arnold." He's like, you "Come and sit down, okay?" So we're gonna eat together, okay? Right. So and he starts, he starts. Saying, I know you'd make that beautiful kind of art movies and uh, and the thing, the pretty pictures and things like that. He's like, so we start talking about his history, which. Uh, he loves to talk about, and he's very proud. He's proud of his history, and he should be proud of his history. I mean, he's literally done everything except being been, you know, a life a life ma- lifeboat captain or something. <laughs> he's probably done that too. But so we sit down and 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 we we start talking about um, uh, all the roles he's played, and and like I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, is he doing that movie star thing where he's letting you know who he is? And he wasn't. He was like, he was just like, you know, this film's very important to me. You know, uh, it's, 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 it's intimate and there's a lot of uh, depth to it. And I, I kind of, you know, I want to explore that part of my, my acting side. And, he, and he, he kind of embraced it. I said to him, I said, listen, look, you've, you've been Conan, you've been all these wonderful things. I said, if you show up on set like that, you're going to crush me. I mean, you have, to, you have to be the actor and you have to let me be the director and then we're going to have the w- most wonderful time because you know something I, I like that. <laughs> I think we're going to do that because you know that I used to be a bodybuilder. <laughs> no. Yeah, I kind of heard. You know, yeah. it's funny when movie stars do that when they 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 say to you that <laughs> something that you already know. Michael Douglas did that to me. He goes, I remember I did this movie Wall Street. <laughs> I was like, Did you see it? I'm like, Yeah. I've anyway, so Arnold's like, <laughs> Arnold's like, you know, I'm all about the rep. I watched this with Pilar too and my takeaway from the movie which is something different for Arnold is in all his other movies he's virtually indestructible yeah. but in this movie uh, mm. one tragic event brings him down to his knees wipes him out 
Well, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and why would he make a movie like that? Right. He certainly doesn't need the money. I don't think, he, you know, the pay cut was going to help. And um, I think it's when you, when you get to 70 and you've done everything, you know, I think he, there's a little bit of that Clint Eastwood renaissance man in him where, you know, he can do Gran Torino and... And things like that, and explore other areas of his psyche. He's an immensely sensitive and uh, in tune man. I was I wasn't prepared for what I got, I, and also incredibly studied as well. You know, he's he he works incredibly hard on the script, and incredibly hard as a as an actor. I mean, he goes over and over and over. He has input in his wardrobe, but then the other side of it is you get this generosity from him with the other actors and with, with if you I need another take sure no problem I need you know it, there was no I never heard the word no I, I didn't get that which, he, you said the magic word which is script so he script. works hard on the script in, in terms of um, trying to be true to the writer's intention or does he ever um, change the script himself or, or ask for that I mean it was never a case of I need to look better in this scene mm-hmm. or the lines need to favor me. Uh, I've worked with other actors that need that. They require that. He didn't have that ego. The, the, the script was immensely challenging. I don't want to color that in, in, another, in the wrong light. It is a very dense, hard movie to make because those movies don't get made. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's a it's human tragedy, and there isn't that. There's no happy ending. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's grief. Can can we give a, a sense? Is it okay if I give a sort of a sense of sure. of what it's about? You can tell me. <laughs> well, just to, simply put, we've got a man who is in mourning by the fact that his uh, his wife and his daughter were both killed in a plane crash. His whole and, family. Yes, and he blames the tra- air traffic controller, and that's and we basically get the sense of both of their stories told at one time. Yeah, both, both, both lives collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actor who has the second lead, he's, uh, he's someone that you'll, you've seen many, many times, but you might not know his name. Do you want to tell Scoop, us his name? Yes, yeah, Scoop McNary, who is someone I've wanted to work with yes. since I saw him in Argo. Actually, someone I've wanted to work with since I saw him in the Rover. Um, he's uh, he's kind of like the it guy. Yeah. He's like a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant character actor. He was in Batman versus Superman last year. He's in Horton Catch Fire. He's in, yeah, he's, yeah. In, he's, in, he's just one of those people you go, oh, I've seen that guy before. He's one, he does yeah. great work in this. He does great work and he works really, really hard. But look, here's the thing, specifically with the script, the challenge was how do you make that script come to life as a film, as a movie? And I think the journey that we, we, we started to take was as you started to shoot the film, what was on the page wasn't necessarily translating as a movie. Really? Why not? What, what had been originally written, I'm not taking anything away from Javier. Javier is a beautiful writer and understands human psychology brilliantly. But to make something a film, what I had was I had Arnold's chapter. Then I had the Scoot McNary chapter and then the ending. And what, you did, what happened was that as I went through the editing of the movie, you realize that the Arnold character was off the screen for so long that you, you lost your connection to the character. And it was like, this isn't, you can't, you're not serving the movie here. So it became unfathomable. You couldn't, you couldn't have him off the screen for so long. So what I ended up having to do is to merge the storylines. Hmm. You know, I mean, you don't see that. You just see the end result. Um, the movie is based on a true story. Really? Yeah, it's, it's based on something that happened 
um, over in, in Russia. And there was a German movie, TV movie made about it. But what Javier wanted to do was do an impressionistic alternate version of that, that movie. We've since shown the real Roman Malnick, the, the movie. And, uh, but that actually happened. He showed up at someone's house and did terrible things. Oh. Huh. Giving the whole story away. Though. Don't get don't go give the story away. But I will say that you know, for people who um, are interested, this is definitely not your typical Schwarzenegger movie, and it's it's worth seeing, if only to go like, here's this guy who's trying something completely different, and he's ex- he's trying it on this film. Do you think that he's going to keep going in this direction of of sort of independent minded, small, intimate stories? I I can't speak for Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor, to be honest. Can you? His, I his think pre- you can. I think you could his, speak uh, in his voice. I can tell you that his previous film before this Maggie. was Maggie was also a, a, a smaller, a more intimate type thing. Also, I mean that was a zombie movie. Sure, sure. But you're right. The 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 most intimate of zombie movies. Right. It was a lot of, about his daughter, daughter who he discovers is a zombie, and she's it's terrible. But do I think he? I think Arnold is a man who is experiential. I think if he likes something, he just does it. Hmm. And I think that's the way he's lived his life. Um, I think he has a vision for how he lives. I would hope that he's willing to do... There, there was a moment when I was working with him where I forgot who he was. Oh, that's great. That must be the, the was, those moments you re- kind of live for as a director. Well, there was a scene that we shot in the diner... You know, I mean, this there was no there were no movie star antics at all from him. We're sitting in the shitty diner in the middle of uh, Columbus, Ohio, on the on the outsides of Columbus, Ohio. It's freezing cold, and um, you know, and I'm looking at this guy, and I did a take, did another take, did a few takes, and then I stopped and I was like, this guy could be every indie director's darling. Because he just, he, he became the character. I just fell in love with that. I, I fell in love with his selflessness. You know, um, I don't know what that That's really so means. Cool. But, but I've, do I think, but in a roundabout way, I would hope that he would do more of these. I think the thing is, is there's a disconnect between, you know, his fans and the expectation. You know, you see Arnold and there's an expectation straight away. You're like, how are we going to deconstruct this giant movie star who's made, you know, $8 billion worth of revenue and has been in our psyche for so long. How do you undo that? That's challenging. Well, well you, you, you did it with his look, though. He, he uh, you know, he has facial hair and his wardrobe and it's not, you know, he looks, he looks different than he looks in other films. He's, he's not all chest no, puffed out and no, arms. He's, he's kind of hunched over at times. And well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, like our first day... Our first day of shooting is the shower scene. Yeah. That's day one. Wow. So I go to Arnold. I'm like, okay, so we're doing this. You ready? Totally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes out and he does it. There was no vanity. That's I mean, great. look, in, with regards to his wardrobe and his look, and it, he has a lot of, he has input. But his input isn't as much as, what do you think, Elliot? It's just what you want. It's total, it's collaborative in the way of like, I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to back you. You know, and that's what you want. Because you, as an artist, whether you're a writer, a cinematographer, or an actor, director, 
what you need is you need to have that confidence behind you that you can actually make those decisions and never have to question why you're making a decision. It's like, okay, this is the right decision. And if your team's behind you, that's the greatest thing in the world. I want to talk about uh, some of your other projects because there's so many here. Can you tell us a little bit about Thirst? Of course. Thirst is something that was born out of the drought that we were having here. I'm a native. I live I'm a native. I live in Los Angeles. and You, the, you sound like a native Los <laughs> Angelino. Yeah, right. Um, the, uh, the water crisis was pretty bad here, do you remember? Up until about a year ago. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. So I've been studying the water crisis worldwide because it's our next big problem. Oh, sure. Um, and I looked at three areas. I looked at India and Brazil, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Central Coast California with all the almond farming. And what I started to realize is that, you know, we have these great giant areas that are called aquifers, they're underground um, reservoirs, basically. And they're, they're disappearing. Hmm. They're being bought up as well by corporations and managed. And what's happened in India is that the, sea, the, the, the water table's gone down so far that what's happening is all the seawater is starting to come into the land. And it's, it's, it's polluting the crops and they can't grow food. And you're hearing about, um, you know, mass migration across, you know, areas of India. So I, I thought about it as like, so what would be, what can, what, what can I do to educate people? You know, good, en- good, good entertainment educates, entertains, informs, right? So um, I, uh, I came up with this concept of like basically Syriana in the world of the water crisis. And I spoke to HBO about it and they were like, you know, they're so conscious conscience they have such a conscious mm-hmm. uh, way in which they do their programming and they were like great we love this and then i reached out to matt damon i just reached out so so uh, so your interest came before the actual script 100 percent. i'm not a writer mm-hmm. and the thing about i'm still not a writer and i'll never be a writer i just don't have that gift and i kind of you kind of have to celebrate writers because they do have that gift um, so what we did is, you know, with, with Matt and, uh, and my friends at Pearl Street, uh, Drew Vinton and my producing partner, Josh Weinstock, we, we, uh, we met a bunch of brilliant writers. I mean, we had incredible writers and one of the writers that came in was this wonderful guy called Chuck Levitt who'd written Blood Diamond and, uh, Chuck just gave this most heartfelt, you know, uh, discourse on, on the water crisis and we're like, well, I think this is our guy. So he wrote his lovely script that now we're budgeting and scheduling and going through all of that. What was so great about Blood Diamond too was that he was there was a big story, again, a, a global story, but had that personal element, uh, that personal subplot that kept going through Blood Diamond with the kid who turns into uh, a killer. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that's great if you can take somebody who can understand a, a sort of a global problem and also personalize it. I, th- I think it's really important that when you write an issue movie that the issue isn't at the foreground. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, as we're humans, we, we understand things that are immediate to us. You know, you, you, you have to write about family and you have to write about things that are important to us on a day-to-day thing with the... Because even if we have this terrible crisis, and we are in the middle of a crisis, our lives have to go on. You know, we still get angry with our kids, or we, you know, we're late, or we 
whatever, something goes wrong. So what Chuck did, he was able to bring that to the foreground. So I'm very excited about that. Pat's going to ask me. I have a, yeah, I have a question because you said that since you admittedly said you're not a writer. No. When you, uh, the films that you've made, do you have a writer on set in case something needs tweaked in the moment or how do you handle that? So it depends on the writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I encourage writers to come to set. I have no, I, lo- I love, I love what they do. Um, usually by the time you're on set, you hope that, everything's been settled right i mean it's, it's quite hard to start it's quite hard to start changing scenes that 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 then it's chaos for the production and they're like hang on a minute what are we doing um but i never ban and i mean there are some directors that don't want the writers anywhere near them mm-hmm. no i i think i like having writers around Cool. Uh, so with, in the case of this with thirst since yeah. this was you know something you conceived of and then we've got um you know matt and my boyfriend ben on here um were you oh sorry pat um so were you, <laughs> were you breaking story with the writer together yeah sort of um what we did was we you know we we sat in a room mm-hmm. I, I definitely had these three ideas uh, and I gave the, I gave, what we gave Chuck is basically, this is a kind of vision of what we want to do. Go off and do it. Hmm. Because I think that, look, you don't want to dictate a structure to a writer because that's what, that's what they do. But I just try to color it with a little, you know, I think this is what it needs to feel like. But did you have a main character and a goal in mind no, and all no, that stuff? No, it was just no, more like, no. here are the themes, here, here are the, the issues? Th- here are the themes. And the, 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 the thing that's so utterly depressing about that particular subject is if you, if you hit your Google alert to it, every 10 minutes you're going to get a new article. Which means a new, a new story. So did he come at you with, okay, here's a, a bunch of different potential log lines? Or no, you just went, no. we trust you, hit those issues, come um, on back, tell us a story? It was much more like I said, Brazil, Central Coast, California, India, because these are the main areas. Mm-hmm. You, know, there's, you know, we talked about, we talked around themes rather than characterization. We, there were films that we felt could influence us. Like We all love Michael Clayton, mm-hmm. which yeah. is such a wonderful film. And we talked about that. We talked about Traffic, mm-hmm. the film, not the miniseries. We talked about Syriana. We talked about uh, Children of Men. And those, you know, every single one that you're talking about has this very distinct tone to it absolutely yeah it's, it's funny as you're saying it you can kind of see the well that the would movie be developed. i hope we can get to that reach to that point that would be amazing and this film will be a, a grander scale than the the two films that i've seen that you've directed correct yeah i mean look it's it won't be as big as a tv show i've just done which was 80 million dollars oh, okay. and like the biggest thing i've ever it, it was an enormous what we just did it was ridiculous <laughs> You said 80 million or 18 million? It had to be 80 million. Oh my God. It was absolutely. Can I talk about that? Yeah, which one? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I have to keep. keep, uh, Is this Will? Will Will was amazing. I I mean, I couldn't have had a better experience in my life on a a production. Tell us what it's about first. So, Will is the. Nobody knows anything about William Shakespeare, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Bill Bryson thinks he does, but he he really doesn't. but Craig Pierce does. <laughs> Craig Pierce is this phenomenal writer who was Baz Luhrmann's uh, kind of collaborator, a screenwriter. They did Gatsby and Strictly Born. I got this phone call from Alison Owen, who's, who's the woman that produced um, Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Suffragette. She's a very well-respected UK producer. And she said, look, we would really like you to come and work on this and do a block. I was like, okay, well, send me the pilot. So what does that mean, do a block? A block is two episodes. Okay. And it's, um, and I was like, I have to watch this pilot. <laughs> and I was, it's blew me away. It's, 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 it's William Shakespeare in the 15th century set against punk rock music. Really? With the most outrageous wardrobe. With the, with, and all the storylines are semi-ish true. It deals with the Catholic and Protestant um, issues of the day. It deals with the plague. It deals with William Shakespeare having outside influences. I'm not supposed to say too much. But, but it's, it's, it's so rich and so... What I love about it is it's completely accessible. And it doesn't, it doesn't have the theory of that William Shakespeare was not William Shakespeare, that he was really this, the son of a rich blah, blah, blah. Um, it deals with Marlowe. Ah, okay. Right? And who's played by Jamie Campbell Bower, who's brilliant. And it deals, um, it, deal, it just handles, it handles William Shakespeare in such a wonderfully fun way that I don't know, I don't think there's a better vehicle for William Shakespeare. Because listen, if you're in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, how are you going to get that, how are you going to get that knowledge? You're not going to go and watch Twelfth Night or, you know, Othello or something like that. It just does a really fantastic job of it. I could, I had more fun on that than I think on, on most things I work on. And were you a Shakespeare fan before you came into? <clears throat> had all his records, yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Shakespeare. I mean, you know, it was wonderful to actually have a favorite sonnet that I ended up filming, which was, you know. Um, How cool. What was the shape? What was it? Yeah. Um, when in disgrace with fortune's men's eyes, idle. I won't do the whole sonnet. But anyway, it was wonderful to film that. But what was wonderful was to to be in the in the in the Globe Theater. Oh, wow! And giant sets that they built, Jeez. and we had the biggest wardrobe that we had. Basically, it was like doing Game of Thrones. Oh my god! Wow! How fun! And how many episodes of the show are there? There's ten. Ten. Uh, Where does your block fall within the? I'm episode four and five. Shekhar Kapoor who's the producer-director, mm-hmm. who you may know from Elizabeth and Bandit Queen. He's a legendary film, filmmaker from India. He did, the fir- he did the pilot and he did the, the first block. But um, it was amazing. Is it, uh, as a director, is it, is it nerve-wracking? Like you've, it's, it's a block and you're four and five and you, you've watched what they've already done. So are you like, I really have to step up my game. I, I need to keep it at this I'm, level. You're, you're assuming I'm crap. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm no, just wondering um, from an, from how do you feel about that? I mean, obviously you're the director, so you have uh, you have pride in your work. But is that difficult when you're you have to work off of what someone has just set up for you? It's not. It's only difficult if you don't agree with the aesthetic. And if you don't like the aesthetic and what's being written, you shouldn't be there. Like, I'm not a guy you call to go and direct CSI Miami. <laughs> yeah, it could be fun. I'd like to see you watch I'm sure it. it'd be direct fun, CSI Miami. I'm like, I, I, I can't imagine that I would ever get that call. But, but, um, I, but what was unique about this is I was working with such high caliber artists. And the thing about, as I said earlier, the thing about artists, we all felt comfortable. We all felt wonderful. So we could all create, and Craig's door was always open, and Shaker's door was only was always open. We rehearsed. You never get to rehearse. We did rehearsal. Yeah. You know, um, and one of the things that I asked for was like, hey, I need to come in two weeks early to work with the actors and work up the scenes and see how it feels. And it, I was given that liberty that I never normally get. 
But the script camp, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. So the script, the thing also is with television, uh, and I haven't done a lot of television, but television typically the scripts come in quite late. Um, but these scripts came in on time. It's kind of brilliant. I think that was Craig really managing that. So you got so you got them in an advance enough to have your two weeks to really oh, yeah. work with the actors. Absolutely. And then we just collaborated. They, you know, there was no idea that couldn't be discussed. Did it feel like a, a did it feel like a television show to you or did it feel like you were directing like two mini movies? Absolutely not like a TV TV show. And I've done other television. Mm-hmm. It was as far removed from television as you could. There was no... Amazing enough, the network trusted us so much. There was no executive on set. I think that's why there's such good shows on TV right now because I think that some of these networks, they're buying these properties and they're saying, these guys know what they're doing. Let's just step away and let some... Some things happen. That's what I think. Well, there aren't. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. It's just my opinion. It sounds like a, that sounds cool. It's just my opinion. I don't there know. There aren't enough that. executives. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> Probably to cover everything. Well, I mean, you know, you know, are you going to stand in the way of Craig Pearson, Shekhar Kapoor, and Alison Owen? Why would you? What are you going to argue with them about? <laughs> now, as a TV, as somebody who comes in and, and does TV every once in a while, stylistically, are you allowed to? Uh, Depart. I mean, you said there's an aesthetic look that you're going for, but stylistically, does do these blocks change? I mean, it depends on the scenes. Like, I mean, I have scenes that are huge with a thousand extras and, you know, parties and violence. And, you know, so uh, the look as in terms of the, the way that the things are exposed mm-hmm. are set. I mean, the sets are all built mm-hmm. where you put the camera is really up to you yeah i didn't have any restrictions i didn't get any i never got notes about where i was placing the camera i i always got they were very very gracious like that they were like well we want you know shekhar kapoor is this lovely old in, indian man and he's like <laughs> i want you to feel like bollywood <laughs> chaos you know let's make it a little chaotic i was like great i'll do it so we did Okay, so back to the script. The script. Um, well, let's 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 go into uh, the HBO show. You've got I, again. You're right. How do you how do you work on all this? You've got an HBO show that's written by one of the writers on True Detective. By the way, one of the greatest writers I've worked with, as well. His name's Scott Lazar. I'm having such a wonderful experience with this man. What? No. What makes it different? Or, or what makes it special? Well, I say? First of all, he has a, he's a he's a novelist. Uh, he wrote he's a he's a novelist, and then he we were struggling with this concept of um, you know the opioid epidemic and the prison industrial complex in America, and it was just like oh, hang on a minute. And then Scott came in with this brilliant idea. I don't want to tell you too much about it, but um, it does center around baseball. And we wanted to we wanted to do a show about um, you know the question was like how did Trump get to who were the guys that voted for Trump hmm. and why aren't the guys that voted for Trump being represented on HBO and what does that look like what does disaffected America look like um, and because disaffected America doesn't mean they're not educated or have a point of view it just means they're disillusioned with the system I think there's a tendency to color people who voted for Trump as morons. And I, I don't think that's strictly true. I think that 
they probably didn't have the alternative that they needed or wanted, and it was more of a protest vote. So we wanted to talk, you know, illustrate what life might be like in that town. And uh, and you're doing this all sort of with the baseball uh, element at the center of That's it? all you're getting. Ah, <laughs> I can't say too much. I mean, like, top secret. I, I, mean, I can't you, give too much away. You know, you got it. it. You mentioned that you loved working with with this writer. I really so, like what him. was it about his process or his writing or the script that that makes you go, "Gosh, that's that special"? Well, he has a. He stands up for his point of view, mm-hmm. but he's open to ideas, and he 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 knows the value of a good idea, hmm. uh, and sometimes. I don't have to sell him on, hey, this is a good idea. He instinctively knows what works and what doesn't work. So you might have, you, so when we're talking about these good ideas, so you might have a story point that you want to change or a character yeah. that you want to change and then and working with a writer that way? Well, a lot of writers, as you know, they work in isolation. They're on their own. You know, they're living with the, 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 the chatter in their head. Um, but when I'm in front of him, you know, he, he's got someone he can chat with. Uh, and sometimes his ideas are brilliant, some of them don't work. And I, I hold a mirror up to that and go, I don't think this, this works because of this. So that's why I've enjoyed it. He's not, I'm, wa- I'm watching his process take place. Interesting. The, are, are you getting more, I mean, you know, you're a, a film director and you're a TV director. What are you getting more interested in these days? Story. Just story. Story's king. I mean, like, that's what, I mean, I started my life as a music video director, which is no story. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, I've made a few films now um, and a lot of mistakes. And I'm at this point in my career where the story is the most important thing, not where I put the camera or the actors or the, that nuance. It's just getting the details in the story right and making sure it feels genuine, feels truthful or truthful to that scene. So I'm starting to find that that's starting to permeate into... I'm really fortunate that that's happening now. You know, um, I wish it had happened sooner, I have to be honest, because, I mean, you, I, you know, I started working with great writers at the beginning of my career, guys like Wesley Strick and Nathan Parker and people like that, and I probably didn't know the best way to work with them because I just didn't know. But now as I'm getting a little older and more experienced, more exposed to better writers. I'm not saying those aren't better writers, as I'm exposed to different writers. It's, it's, it's kind of getting under my skin a little bit more. I'm enjoying it. So, so um, as far as being a director goes, does that make you somebody who... Like, how do you turn your attention more to the story through the camera versus what you were doing before? Do you think before you were going for the pretty shot and now you're going for something different? I think there's an element of that. I think there's a little bit of that showing off that you have. You know, I came from videos and commercials. Mm-hmm. So there's not, substanti- substantively, there, are, there isn't that much to do other than create pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of tell a story in you know, 90 seconds, three minutes, whatever. But, but um, yeah, the story's become so much more important. Characterization is so much more important. I know what characterization means now, you know, because ultimately it only benefits the actors. And then the camera will go where it needs to go. Do you, are, are you not as afraid to hold the camera on somebody longer? Or It was never a problem. Mm-hmm. 
the aesthetics wasn't a problem. Um, story was a problem for me um, and understanding what the writer's motives were. You know, because the writer lives with the, the movie in their head when they're typing it out or however they, their process, that's their process. You know, we, we take the movie, you know, they're making the movie as they're writing, we make the movie as we're shooting it. You know, and then the movie becomes very different in the edit. I think that that's a, that's a real, really hard lesson for writers to learn is that there's a chasm between what's on the page mm -hmm. and then what's in the edit room because what, what works on the page doesn't sometimes, tragically, doesn't always work in the edit room. But n understanding, like you said, the intention of the page yeah. will help you, even if you have to edit it, you're still keeping that, that main intention, understanding you always, that motivation. Look, you want to be true. If a good material, you want to be faithful to good material. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It makes your job harder, by the way, if you get into the edit and things not working. Mm makes it much harder. Um, that's why I'm spending more time with writers. Now, you're producing, so... I'm doing it all. you got yeah. this movie about Irish gangsters, right? Well, I have this project that I've, I'm Alison Owen and my partner, Eric Watson, are going to do about. It's, um, it's, uh, it takes place between Dublin and Boston, and it's a little bit like Godfather Part 2. It takes place... first part takes place in the 70s in Dublin. Oh, cool. And then the, sec and the second part takes place in Boston, and you flash between the two worlds. And it's about one man's journey over to, to form a Boston gang, hmm. you know, in Mackenzie or Southie or somewhere like that. And uh, I'm, I'm not Irish <laughs> and a, or a gangster, but um, I'm finding that I'm coming up with concepts uh, and that the concepts uh, feel like they're stories that people might want to watch. So again, this was your idea and you hired a writer. It wasn't, oh, I found a script. No, I, I used to do the whole, what they call the open directing assignment game. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit, it can be a little soul destroying. You know, like I was recently up for a movie, beautiful film. And, you know, you meet with the producer, you meet with the studio. And then you find out that they want Alejandro Inaratu or <laughs> Alfonso Caron or Bennett Miller. And you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> so after a while, what happens is you start to realize, well, listen, I'm not necessarily going to, I could win at that game, but I'm not going to necessarily tell the story I want to tell. So why don't I just originate my own material, you know, and not be afraid of doing that? Because it is, it's a leap. Did just, you ever look for, though, um, you know, uh, kind of like with Nightingale, like an original script that, did you kind of look around for always. existing scripts? Oh, I still read. I'm, I read voraciously. Yeah, I read everything. And, and you know what's so sad is that because in, the, in terms of movie scripts, because there's been this incredible shift over to television, the platinum age of television, they're calling it, all the great writers are now working in television. Steve Zalian's working there. You know, Aaron Sorkin's been there forever. Uh, so what that means is there's a dearth of movie scripts. Mm. Because people don't want to work on a spec for free and then spend 10 years trying to get it made mm -hmm. when they can go and walk into Netflix or Amazon now and pitch their movie, their TV show and get it made with the same movie stars that are doing movies. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So you're saying there's actually just not enough material out there. That's... That is, you know, what writers are always hearing is just there's so much out there that it's just hard to wade through. But you're saying in, in feature land, I, I don't think. It's I not mean, there. look at the spec market. Wow. <clears throat> Sorry, look at the spec market. It's not exactly flourishing anymore. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in the in the past, it was well, we just don't want to spend the money. But now you're saying that eh, there's just not the material. 
Well, it's also our the way we've relate we're relating to cinema has completely changed. I mean, you know, unless it's a juggernaut, you know, what's really going to work? I think La La Land is a wonderful film, but it's an anomaly. You know, Moonlight is an anomaly, um, but Skull Island is is the norm. <laughs> Well, okay, so so if you've got something about Irish gangsters, and this was started sort of, again, an idea that you generated, yeah. how far do you go with the idea? Before you're talking about, here's a theme, go. But in with something like this, do you say, it's, you know, I've got this character, I think this is the, the, the plot, go? I mean, do you actually spend more time breaking stories? Well, I'll sit with a writer, mm-hmm. and I'll say, these are the flourishes. Mm-hmm. These, this is your framework because there's nothing worse than for a writer and say go off and write something brilliant and I'll see you in, a, in three months it's like well here's your framework mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking this is the tone that I'm looking for because tone is everything sure. in, in, in writing as well and then I leave them alone and then they can call like with Scott when Scott Lazar and I are working on um, on our HBO show you know he'll we'll call each other there's a dialogue going on I don't tell him what to write mm-hmm. I don't tell any writers what to write but I just gently guide here's what I'm thinking and they normally come back with better stuff because at least they've got a, a, a launch place you know the launch yeah. pad Does, in, the, in the case of the Irish Gangster uh, movie what stage is it at as far as is it all financed is it well we are fi- it's is funny we're you know we are we have a financier we have we you know we have people that will spend money on good, there are people that will spend money on, on material. There's, that's, that hasn't gone away. I, I haven't had a, I've never had a problem finding money for things. What I've had a problem is finding things to put money into. Hmm. You know, um, because there's always, there's always money's out there, and people want to put money into films. There's always like some guy from Azerbaijan who's like, the little, the little, you put my girlfriend in the movie. <laughs> I find that's a movie, a movie. You know, there's, I mean, there's plenty of those. I mean. There was definitely a point in my career where I, I, was, I wasn't doing as well. And, you know, I'd meet these guys in, like, the back of pizza restaurants, you know, and I would put money in a movie. Okay. <laughs> my first movie was definitely financed by the Chicago mob. I'm convinced of it. But, yeah, I mean, there's always... Money's, money's not hard to find. Okay. No, money's not hard to find. Good material's so hard to find. Have you become somebody who's good at a pitch? Since, since, I mean, if, if money's not hard to find, is it because you're able to pitch your projects well? Or, or do you think, you know? So if I say yes, I sound like I'm a, an arrogant prick. No, 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 and no. if I say no, no I'm feigning uh, humility. Um, uh, no, look, I would imagine you're pretty good at I'm it. I'm all right. And, and do you have, have an approach? Yes. Yeah, what's your shtick? I'm not in there too long. Don't, don't drone. Mm-hmm. Um... I go in full of energy and I, because I, normally it's very hard, you can't sell something you don't believe in. So if you're not excited about the project, how are they supposed to be? Yeah, and I create the vision. I create the vision. This is how it, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is the journey that we're all going to take together. And let me tell you how you're going to be part of that journey. I like how you're saying we, we, we. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm ready to give him some money right now. I know. <laughs> if I had any. And it's, it's, you know, if you're in the room, you've got a 50-50 chance. Keep your pitches short because people don't have the attention span. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't. You know, a 30, 40 hour long pitch. No, you forget it. <laughs> forget it. Keep it short and sweet and have fun. Look like you're having fun. And um, 
I, gosh, I, there's even one more. Well, there's, I'm there's sure there's several more. There's several more. Far Edge of the World. Oh, yeah. Tell that me was, about that. that. was uh, Felix Harrison was the top of the Brit list, uh, which is the equivalent of the blacklist in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote this really wonderful script about um, a group of scientists who were stuck in Antarctica who were studying parallel universe quantum physics theory. And um, it's a thriller love story set against that world. It's quite unique. You know, it's in the world of kind of inception or arrival or something like that. Sounds expensive. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yeah, we have money for that as well. But it's good. That's really strong material. I mean, it's, it's, you know, um, you know, we're still working on the script uh, as you have to, even in post, you're working on the script. But yeah, we're quite excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited. There's a lot of great stuff happening. The other thing is, as soon as you've, I've found, as soon as you shift away from um, going after material that everyone's chasing and then starting to look for material that's coming, it comes to you. The ideas can't, they just start to flood in and then you become the kind of editor and go, okay, well, that's going to work and that's not going to work for us. I mean, see a lot of rubbish. Yeah, yeah. What what are you sick of seeing? What what, what? genre? Genre. So yeah, so genre. explain. I mean, I, I read a script this morning. I will not tell you the name of it. Where it's you know Eastern East European gangsters and a hitman, and it's his last job, oh, one more okay. job, and then he falls in love. And then I'm gonna get out. Let me tell you something. He falls in this this schmuck falls in love with the wrong girl, <laughs> right? And then what happens? What do you think happens at the end? Uh, you can't guess this. Okay. She gets run down by a bus. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, okay. Okay, so you've got the tropes. You've right. Got the, get away with that. Fine. Mm-hmm. Mowed down by a bus in the last three pages. Yeah, come on. Give me something. Right, right. Like if that's the thing that's making it unique is that like, and then we hit her with a bus. We're so, we're so edgy. You've never yeah. seen the love interest die. Oh, God. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, it was like a splat. <laughs> What do you what do you think people give you and they're like so off? You know, like <laughs> Oh my god. Um romantic comedy. Oh really? I got sent a studio movie mm-hmm. about an armored car. About an armored car. Yeah. Okay. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> That I'm not right for. I will do. I do have a story about Fifty Shades of Grey, though. No way. Yeah, I was. I was asked to throw my hat in the ring. Oh, really? This yeah. is brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. I so, got, so I got did you throw your hat? So in the I'll ring? tell you. I'll tell you. This is a wonderful producer called Mike DeLuca. Uh huh. Yeah. Who's? Um, I mean, he's phenomenal. He's legendary. Mm-hmm. Legendary. <laughs> and um, Mike summons me to the Soho house. And says, I need to talk to you. So I sit down, we start talking. And he's, he's wonderfully charming. And he knows how to pitch, trust me. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I do kind of offbeat films. He's like, you know, you'd be great for Fifty Shades. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? Is well? He goes, no, 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 no. You should, you, should, uh, you should take a look. You should take a look. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, no, no. We need like an Adrian Lyne type mm-hmm. director. You know, I'm like... He thinks because I got the accent, I could be Adrian. Lyne. <laughs> so, um, so uh, do we have time? Yeah. I oh yeah. yeah oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. So he uh, he 
arranges for me to get locked in a room in Universal. So I, I drive over to Universal. They wouldn't give me the script because it's under lock. At the time, it was under lock and key. This is a sequel to Fifty sure. Shades, but and um, so I, I park my car, go into uh, the the building in Universal, and sit down. And the assistant says, "I take takes my phone from me. Oh He's my like, God. I'm locking you in the room." Here's a bottle of water. Knock twice when you're ready. We'll come get you. Were there blindfold folds involved? I mean, this is very Fifty Benoit Shades. Benoit balls. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, well, it kind of is. Anyway, so they, um, I sat down and I, you know, big black book opened, watermarked script with my name on it. Oh, oh my. my. And I start to read the script. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. I wish people could see it. Right? I know. Well, I just come clearly not the right director for that. <laughs> but, but yes. I will tell you, it's quite intoxicating when you have Mike DeLuca talking to you, saying, "You could see how people might get talked into something they might not want to do." Crazy, because I was like, "Oh, hello." That, so I said, "Oh," so I, I called him. I said, "Oh, you know, it's interesting, you know." Now you need to talk to the studio. So I talked to the studio about it. And I, I felt myself being taken on this wave that I had no control over. <laughs> and I clearly wasn't the right director for it because they got James Foley, who is probably the right director for it. But I got seduced. <laughs> you got seduced. Was there any whining or dining? <laughs> there was... There's a Soho House. There was definitely oh, whining and true. dining. I think there was a $10 million paycheck Sweet. for two films that may have been not, not floating for me, <laughs> but I thought, I think, and it was just like, yeah. Well, good for you for sticking to your guns and not selling out your creativity. <laughs> I will tell you, after, we, after I worked with Arnold, he called me and he asked me if I sh- he's like, you know, listen, Elliot. I think you should think about Conan. <laughs> I'm not joking. He's like, no, no, no. You should think about it. I'm like, Conan? He goes, yes, King Conan. Oh, I said, you, oh wow. So, yeah, there's a King Conan movie that I can't do. No. <laughs> I like how Pat's agreeing with <laughs> no. I'll go see King Conan. But yeah, Pat I, will actually be first in line the way, oh, Conan. Yeah, it'll probably, by the way, it'll probably be brilliant. If it happens, yeah. who knows if it will happen though? What would be, I mean, look, you're making everything that you want to make right now, but is there something that is in the back of your head like one of these days? The movie that I can't tell you about. Yes. Actually, I can tell you about it. I can't tell you who's around it. Okay. So I own the life rights to this group called Project Save a Child, mm-hmm. who are these guys who go out and rescue kidnapped kids. They're a real group of guys. Wow. They've existed for about 30 years. They have no money. If a child is kidnapped or sex trafficked, they go in and they rescue these kids. And these are guys who are broke. Wow. And I've been following them for three years now. And that story is the story I really, really want to tell. Because it's, there's no ego or reason, self-reason to do, to do what they do. It's kind of incredible. They're incredible men. That's the story I'm, I'm dying to tell. It's like, you know. That's I want nice to see that. Yeah, I want to see that movie. Like Man too. on Fire. Be like Man on Fire. Meet uh, Sicaria. No, Man on Fire. I love it. That yeah. great movie. I just so, so finished showing a clip from it in my class. I, I show. That's great, right? Brian Hegland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it's, clip did you show? I show um, the the stages leading to his realization of what was the kidnapping scam. Is that your way of illustrating changeover in a character? It's my way of showing that you know, 
we talk about it from brainstorming backwards from a reveal. Like, okay, here's the reveal. Where did it take place? What was the clue that got them there? What was said that instigated the clue? What event happened that made them say this thing that instigated the clue that got them there? So if you look at, at Man on Fire, it's very good in that one sequence of all of these connections are firing for him and there's these little events that we're seeing and it's making us go oh he's here he's there he's figuring we're figuring it out with him so i think it's a perfect film that's that's a tony scott film isn't it yeah i used to work for tony Mm, he was so good so sad yeah i know he was really denzel's guy too they worked a lot together now antoine fuqua is denzel's guy it's good to have a guy i don't know if i'm arnold's guy (laughs) he asked you to do king conan so maybe he thinks you are I think he might have been joking with me. I don't know. Sometimes, I mean, you never know. Didn't you say, like, you hang out with him now? I like, do, yeah. You we go had, to breakfast Yeah, and I'm stuff? probably going to see him this week. Cool. Yeah, we go to breakfast. You know, like, what are you doing? Because let's take a picture of my breakfast. <laughs> do you I really take a seeing, picture of I his saw, breakfast? Yeah, he does. He, he lo- he's addicted to Snapchat. Did you know that? No. No, yeah, he's got, not know that. He's amazing with the Snapchat. <laughs> And he has a snap. I showed up one day. He goes, look at this. He's like a teenage boy. Look at this. Look what they've got. And he had the Snapchat glasses on. And you can record with them. He goes, I'm going to do a recording. Here we go. Look. There's me eating my breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> what does he eat for breakfast? Uh, he had two boiled eggs and some oatmeal. But I, 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 you know, when I worked with him, I, was, I, I kept complaining to him. I said, listen, you look too good. You look too healthy. We got to trim you down, and I would, you know, and then I would give him Stollen, which is German Christmas cake. I kept giving him pastries. Oh my goodness! Did he did he eat them or was he like He's a oh, this Austrian? He loves pastries. Oh, yeah, okay, great. all right. Then, then he just went home and did it at four hours of cardio after the, <laughs> every day. He works out really every day. Good for him. Well, I Elliot, I want to say, you know, I'm so glad that you're back on the show. We missed you very much. Um, Always here. And um, I was, I just felt so privileged when you got in touch. And I, you know, there's so many of these projects here. I'm going to have to have you back on to fill. Well, maybe I should come on with one of the actors or one of the writers. That would be you great. Get, you should get Chuck Levitt on here. Okay. I can help you with that. Oh, that Chuck, awesome. Chuck is great. That would be Well, so Scott, great. actually, Scott Lazar would love to do this. <gasps> okay. Do you want Scott? Sure. Oh, let's sort that out. And Ben. Mm. And Ben. No, okay, never mind. Sorry. It was, it was close, though. I almost, no? Ben Affleck's not coming in. No? All right. Okay. Um, so, uh, Elliot, we've got to make sure that we've got everybody watching your stuff. Okay, so we've got April 7th, yes. Aftermath. And is it wide? Um, it's got an, uh, it's coming out on Lionsgate. It's an art house release. Uh, it's, it'll be day on date, the new model that everybody's using now. Okay. The new uh, model, meaning that it also goes to VOD? It or? goes VOD. I mean, I'm not sure how many... Th- they haven't told me the theater count, because I just don't know. Okay. Uh, and then Will comes out in July. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Just hearing you talk about that sounds really cool. On it's TNT. Like you just showed up. Is that your... Is it? No, we've got... Uh, yeah, yeah, there's... there's uh, You've got uh, movement. Uh, yeah, our Hello. nephew's here. I love that guy. Hi, Kyle. Okay, so we've got uh, on Will. Uh, we've got Will on TNT in July, and then also what about the HBO show well, Jackson, Jackson State? State. Thirst. That will depend. That I will know about that imminently, hopefully. Okay, everybody, keep your eye out. And then, of course, the movies that you're producing. 
that's going to take a, a little bit. And you I can have let one us actually know. coming out soon that I did with Brie Larson called Basmati Blues. Okay. That was a cheeky little musical that we did in South India. What do you mean a musical? Like, like a mean, Bollywood like a mu- kind of musical? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Musicals are fashionable now. Well, yeah. Yeah, we made this a while ago. Though. Oh, have fun. Have fun. Well, and also with your, with your video background, your music video background. I didn't direct husband. it. I just, I, I put the, I helped put the cast together and they were like, hey, we need some actors. And I was like, Brie, come and do this. And she's like, okay. That's awesome. She's That's the best. Great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Academy Award winner. Now. All right. Now. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so again. You were great. And, uh, and uh, everybody go watch all that stuff. Uh, Pat, uh, tell everybody where to go to follow you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Pat underscore Francis. I am verified. Uh, Stop you, bragging you about that. You can follow me uh, for my podcast. You can follow me at Rock Solid Show. And you can find the podcast if you just go to rocksolidpodcast.com. You can find all the information about that. Okay. And I got a couple of things I got to say. First of all, we got another writing marathon coming up Sunday, April 9th. Remember, the studio's open from 9 a.m. to midnight. You come on in and you write for 15 hours. Have fun. <laughs> you'll see me if you come at 9 a.m., you'll see me. And if you leave at midnight, you will see That's me. That's true. You can see, you can get a Pat Francis uh, cameo. A hello and a goodbye. And I'll come in mid- midway and help you through anything that you're stuck on. Also, there's the first draft class that you can start signing up for, which is April 22nd through May 27th. Six Saturdays, 1230 to 330. Hey, helps you break story and get into outline and pages in six weeks. But I really want to do a little shout out to the writers I just worked with over the course of these two days in my rewrite weekend. They came, ready? They came from, some of them came from San Francisco, from Oregon, from Minnesota, and from Montreal, and from um, Australia. One guy flew right in from Australia into the studio. There you go. There were people with luggage in the studio. Luggage in the studio. And so many of them listened to the podcast that I just want to give them a quick shout out. So here we go. Ready? Shout out to Athena Frost, Brendan Curran, Chelsea St. James, Danielle Caraganis, Darren McCoy, David Brisky. Hi, David. Deanna Neal, Jeff Herbatch, Jerry Timmerman, Gina Woodruff, Kim just Kim, Kimberly, <laughs> Lionel Desai, Liz Snyder, Nick Santos, Sherry Vaseji, Stephanie Ash, Tobin DeLimple. I hope I say that right. I'm sorry, to- Tobin. He's the one in uh, Montreal. Rita Merson and Greg Field from Australia. Thank you so much for attending those two days and for listening to On the Page. And Thanks again to Elliot. You rock. Thank you so much. Thank you very much to Pat. Thanks for everybody for listening and have a good writing week.